All right, so um, let me screen share my, uh, my chart, whatever thing. Um, so this is pulled out of the book, The Literary Message of Isaiah. And um, so this is the second week on the rebellion and compliance uh, part of the Bifid structure. So uh, last week we talked about Ahaz, which is uh, part C there on, on this chiasm. And tonight we're going to be talking about the other C, which is King Hezekiah. So again, uh, our, our first two weeks were on Isaiah's first part, which is the ruin and rebirth motif. And building upon that foundation, we go into this rebellion and compliance. Um, when, when we have kings who are rebellious and people who are rebellious, they don't warrant God's protection. And when the king and the people under the Davidic covenant are righteous, they uh, will be protected by the Lord. And so uh, keep, kind of keeping that whole chiasm in mind as we go through this, this structure um, is, I don't know, key, I, Hezekiah is like my favorite story now. I, I love uh, studying him and, and contrasting him and looking at him in an entem context, etc. Um, but does anyone have anything um, interesting that they, they learned about King Hezekiah this week or uh, any insights into his life that you'd uh, love to share. I'm going to be bringing up a talk uh, here in the side, but if you have any uh, awesome insights about King Hezekiah, feel free to share. And if not, that's totally fine. I am just bringing up a President Nelson's conference talk from October where he talked about, just trying to find that real quick. Yes, okay, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes I might be a little scatterbrained. So embrace the future with faith. And if we remember this talk, he talked about three different things that uh, Captain Moroni did to prepare his people. Um, and this ties directly into Hezekiah. It's kind of the, the Hezekiah story. So sorry if I'm scrolling too fast here, but I'm just getting to the, the headlines. Um, so principle number one was create places of security. Uh, when King Hezekiah assumed the, the throne, uh, he was just a young ruler, much like King Ahaz, his father. But one of the, the first things that, that he commissioned was to fortify or build this uh, this new northern wall, this barricade there for Jerusalem, uh, very much uh, creating a, a place of security because he knew that uh, from his forefathers and, and the people that had gone before that they warranted covenant curses. Principle number two was prepare your mind to be faithful to God. The second thing that he, King Hezekiah did was to uh, throw down all of the idolatry that um, had uh, inculcated their, their, their culture in their town. Um, he uh, threw down the Asherah trees, the, the false, um, the altars to the false gods, and even the, the brazen serpent of Moses that he raised up in the wilderness. People were idolizing it and um, uh, uh, putting it up instead of God. And so uh, he had thrown that down as well and caused it to be destroyed. And then the third thing that President Nelson talks about is never stop preparing. And so that brings the 
third part of it that Hezekiah did the preparations for the uh, well Hezekiah's tunnel, uh, getting uh, that uh, Gihon spring connected with the, the pool of Siloam and uh, diverting the water so that the enemies outside uh, in the, the Kidron Valley wouldn't be able to uh, partake of their water, etc. as well. Anyway, I thought it was a very interesting connection. Captain Moroni, King Hezekiah, our day. Um, this is uh, a story for the ages. Uh, it's something to, to really pay attention to. I think that it's going to be highly significant as we move forward, uh, taking what Isaiah is saying and, and really applying it. Um, so with that, let's kind of just dive into these scriptures. If um, I have any volunteers that want to read, if you want to raise your hand or, or put it in the chat real quick uh, while I bring this up, we're going to start in Isaiah 37. So just kind of um, our reading is from 36 to 40, but just to kind of summarize chapter 36, um, uh, Sennacherib up in Assyria is sending um, uh, Rabshakeh as a messenger to, to relay his threats to the people of Judah. And so um, in chapter 36, it's kind of that back and forth of uh, threats and and what they're going to do to Judah if they don't comply, etc. And um, just kind of all of that that mess. There's a lot of symbolism, etc. But um, yeah, we just won't be able to get to all of it tonight. Uh, um, I think uh, a good part of our uh, study in 37 is is going to be well worth it. So um, if we could, uh, let's see. Shamala, if you want to read like 10 verses, we can just kind of go back and forth on, on that. You got it. Um, when King, oh, can I show you something real quick? Oh my goodness, you guys. So um, the book that I'm reading out of is from the library and maybe this isn't as cool as I think it is, but <laughs> I opened it the other day and it's actually signed. Oh, really? So maybe, I don't know. I thought I can't share that with anybody else. They might not. It's <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. But I thought that was super cool. All right. So starting in chapter 37. Um, when King Hezekiah heard it, he rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and entered into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, the overseer of the palace, Shebna, the secretary, and the elders of the priests in sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. And when King Hezekiah's servants came to Isaiah, they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this is a woeful day, a day of reproof and disgrace. Children have reached the point of birth, but there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God has heard the words of Rabshakeh, whom his Lord, the king of Assyria, has sent to scorn the living God and will rebuke him for the things and will rebuke him for the things the Lord your God has heard, were you to offer up prayers on behalf of the remnant that is left. And Isaiah said to them, tell your Lord, thus says, thus says the Lord, be not afraid because of the words with which you have heard the king of Assyria's subordinates ridicule me. See, I will give him a notion to return home upon hearing a rumor 
and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And when Rabshakeh heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found him fighting against Libna. Now, Sennacherib received a report that Tirhakah, king of Cush, had set out to fight against him. And when he'd heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, telling them, speak thus to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Let not your God in whom you trust delude you into thinking that Jerusalem shall not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. You yourself have heard what the kings of Assyria have done, annexing all lands. Shall you then escape? Did the gods of the nations of my fathers, did the gods of the nations my fathers destroyed deliver them? Did they deliver Gozan and Haran, Rezeph and the Edenites in Telassar? Where are the kings? of Hamath and Arpad, and the kings of the cities of Sepharvaim, Hina, and Iba. All right, yeah, thank you. Because um, I told you to, to read till 10, but I was like, oh, I really wish she would read till 14. <laughs> and, and you just did, it was awesome. It read my mind. Um, so it's interesting here, we see this, this uh, contrasting motif from last week with Ahaz. Remember when uh, Isaiah took Ahaz to uh, the, the top of the Fuller's Field or, or the Gihon Spring there, and Ahaz said, I will not ask the Lord for a sign. I won't test him. Yet King Hezekiah here, when he hears that there's a threat, he rends his clothes, puts on sackcloth, and enters the house of Jehovah. I mean, he, he does the exact right thing uh, to do. Um, in uh, Group B, uh, Nancy shared uh, a quote from, oh, who is it? All of a sudden my brain went blank. Gerald Lund. Um, and he kind of put it into a, a different context. And he said, all right, now let's take a look as if we are hunkering down in Temple Square, Salt Lake City. And the king of Assyria is up in, I can't remember, one of the Dakotas or whatever, like pretend that that's Assyria. And um, you're, you're hunkered down in Judah and North Dakota Falls, South Dakota Falls, Montana Falls, uh, Washington, or not Washington, well, yeah, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Wyoming, they're all gone. And, and the armies are advancing up, clear up till Capitol Hill, Salt Lake City. I mean, look how close that is. That's, that's what these people were experiencing. When King Hezekiah heard it, he did the right thing. He, he went to the Lord, he went to the temple and sent his, um, uh, the overseer of the palace and the secretary, the elders of the priests, he went and told them to go get the, the prophet because, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is an imminent threat. I mean, there's, there's no way to, to escape this. This is uh, knocking right on the door. Um, and so we have kind of this, this back and forth here where uh, Rabshakeh, um uh, sends them another letter saying like who do you think you are have you not heard that we've like destroyed everything um did your god deliver gozan and haran and all of these cities that that we've taken over like th just just stand down we're totally going to win this uh there's no no reason to even fight yet what had hezekiah been doing ever since that he became king um he had been enacting the Davidic covenant and preparing his people in those three ways that we had talked about. And so Hezekiah is just this model of 
a, a great Davidic king. Uh, ever since King David, they've had some really poor rulers who have not um, taken covenants seriously at all. And so uh, anyway, I think that this is, this is huge. This is a, a great example of faithfulness. Now, later we do see some, some different things from Hezekiah that aren't so great, but um, in this moment, he is um, a great hero. Um, so continuing in verse 14 here, it says, And Hezekiah received a letter from the messengers and read it. Then Hezekiah went up to the house of Jehovah and unrolled it before Jehovah. And Hezekiah prayed to Jehovah and said, O Jehovah of hosts, God of Israel, who sits enthroned beyond the cher- uh, between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. It is you who made the heavens and the earth. O Jehovah, give ear and hear. O Jehovah, open your eyes and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to mock the living God. O Jehovah, the king of Assyria has indeed destroyed all peoples and their lands, committing their gods to the fire. For they were no gods, but were mere works of men's hands, of wood and stone. And so they could destroy them. But now, O Jehovah, our God, deliver us out of his hand, that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone are Jehovah. And so... um, I'll keep that spot here in in 21. But um, I think it's important to kind of delineate the the different covenants that we're talking about here. So we have, uh, Avraham talks a lot about the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the Sinai covenant. And it's important to to separate those out and and what they they mean and what they do. Um, Moses enacted the, the, well, not enacted, but um, was given the Sinai covenant, and he entered into it there uh, on Mount Sinai, where it was a collective covenant. All of the people um, were to, uh, to obey it collectively. And so even if one person acted in disobedience, the whole group had to suffer because of it. And we see that in the story of when they went to battle, there was one person that took the spoils of war, and everyone uh, had to suffer uh, the covenant curses of that. And so the Sinai covenant is very strict. It's, it's a hard law to follow. And um, uh, we see that Joshua had to cast lots and, and figure out which tribe this person came from. And then once he figured out what tribe, he had to cast lots again and uh, uh, figure out who this was. They stoned him and his family. And then the, the blessings returned. And so the Sinai covenant is 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 pretty wild actually um and uh, a lot of time it's it's called a national covenant versus the davidic covenant um we have moses in the wilderness they come up to israel do 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 flash forward in history the people didn't want to to live the sinai covenant anymore it was too hard there was wickedness among them they there was like there's no way that we can be protected um when when there's uh, evil among us or at least not as faithful among us. And so they asked the Lord if they could have a king. They demanded a king. And so King David was chosen and and set up as a king. And what that does is here we have like the Sinai covenant that is all of the people acting in accordance with the law. But in a Davidic covenant, you take one person out of that group and put them as an intermediary. So if the people will obey the law of the vassal king, and if the vassal king obeys the law of the emperor, then the emperor will protect everyone. 
but both of the groups have to be in obedience with the law that they are given. So in essence, the Sinai covenant is really hard, but the, the Davidic covenant is easier for the people, but harder on the vassal king. Um, and so what we see here with the Hezekiah story is that Hezekiah is willingly stepping up to the plate and interceding on behalf of his people with the Lord. And so um, just kind of keeping that in mind as we are looking at how this story uh, plays out here. Um, let's see, Shamala, would you read? This is my favorite chapter in all the scriptures. So if you want me to read the whole thing and just stop at some point. I, I yeah, so if you want to go 21 through the end, because it's all kind of yeah. part of that story there. All right. This one in 40, like I'm giddy over oh, it. Oh yeah, 40. Um, all right. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is what the Lord has spoken against him. The virgin daughter of Zion holds you in contempt. She laughs you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head at you. When, sorry, whom have you mocked and ridiculed? Against whom have you raised your voice, lifting your eyes to high heaven against the Holy One of Israel? But by your servants, you have blasphemed the Lord. You thought on account of my vast chariotry, I have conquered the highest mountains, the farthest reaches of Lebanon. I have felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I have reached its loftiest summit, its finest forest. I have dug wells and drunk of foreign waters. So my voice knows that it's not truth I'm saying, <clears throat> um, but it's truth for him. So I have dug wells and drunk of foreign waters with the soles of my feet. I have dried up all Egypt's rivers. Have you not heard how I ordained this long ago? How in the days of old, I, the Lord Jehovah speaking, planned it. Now I have brought it to pass. You were destined to demolish fortified cities, turning them into heaps of rubble, while their timorous inhabitants shrank away in confusion, becoming as wild grass, transiently green, or like weeds on a roof that scorch before they grow up. But I know where you dwell, and your comings and goings, and how stirred up you are against me. And because of your snortings and bellowings against me, which have mounted up into my ears, I will put my ring into your nose and my bit in your mouth and turn you back the way you came. But to you, this shall be a sign. This year, eat what grows wild and the following year, what springs up of itself. But in the third year, sow and harvest, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The remnant of the house of Judah that survives shall once more take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and from Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. Therefore, thus says, Je says Jehovah the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He shall not advance against it with armor, nor erect siege works against it. 
by the way he came, he shall return. He shall not enter this city, says Jehovah the Lord. I will protect this city and save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then the angel of the Lord went out and slew 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the men arose in the morning, there lay all their dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, he broke camp and withdrew. And he returned to Nineveh, where he dwelt. And as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, his sons, Adramalek and Sherezer, slew him with a sword and flew into the land and fled into the land of Ararat. And his son, Esarhaddon, succeeded him as king. All right. What do we got? That, that's quite a story. That's quite a mouthful there, right? This is some major protection that the Lord is providing his people when in the past they have not deserved it. They deserve the covenant curses that are headed their way or else the, the, the king of Assyria wouldn't have been called to, to come and, and destroy them. Yet the Lord loves us so much if we will turn and repent and uh, prove that we will keep covenants. And so this Davidic covenant that they enter into here is, is huge, it's key. The people are hearkening to the word of Hezekiah as Hezekiah hearkens unto the father. And so there's, there's lots of imagery here, but what does that look like? What other examples of Davidic level covenants do we have in, in all of the scriptures, in our temple, wherever? What kind of Davidic covenants come to mind? And I'll wait because this is a fun topic to discuss. It takes some time to, to think on it, mull it over. Where else do we see Davidic covenants? Before Isaiah decoded, I had never heard of Davidic covenants at all. It, it was a new thing to me, but it has really opened my mind and just, it's been so fun studying. Hey, Cameron, I, I've been reading this book called um, Understanding Your Endowment. Have you heard of that? Oh, yes. Yeah, and I actually just listened to the part where he talks at length of the covenant that, um, oh, I might get this. I'm so bad with names. I think it was Joshua, um, Saul's son. Who was Saul's Jonathan. son? Who was it? Yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan, thank you. I thought you said Jonah, and I'm like, no, not Jonah. Oh, not Jonathan. <laughs> and it was such a beautiful um, symbolism of the covenant that they made together. Um, uh, how Jonathan was to, ready to go to battle for, you know, and, and did multiple times when Saul tried to kill David and that covenant that they made and how they um, were there for one another. And in the end, like after Jonathan, I think he passed at some point, but his, um, even Jonathan's son, David kept that covenant with him even though he hadn't made the covenant with his son by, by a byproduct of having that covenant with Jonathan, David um, took care of his son. And um, he talks at length of, of how it resembles the covenant similar to us and the savior and how, um, because even with like, let's say that 
our children choose not to know God or what have you, but the Lord will still keep a covenant with them because we've made a covenant. Right. And so, mm-hmm. um, I really liked how, what I heard today. It was, I hadn't thought of it like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That ceiling covenant is so powerful, right? I mean, uh, even when, when children stray, even when, when things happen in, in life that we can't control, that ceiling covenant can save, uh, because, God loves us, and, and that's what covenants are all about. God doesn't do anything on the world unless it's because of a covenant that, that someone somewhere has made, whether it be the Abrahamic covenant, whether it be a patriarch, whether it be our, our own parents or, or what have you. But everything God does is, is along covenant lines, which is so amazing. That, that's such a, a beautiful blessing that we have here in this mortality. Yeah, thank you. I think it's Captain Moroni. Oh, sorry. I talk so much in this one hour. (laughs) No, you're good. Yeah, it's my mom behind. uh, So we're going to go Shamala, then Cindy, and then my mom. Um, I think it's Captain Moroni. He's the one that that when they're not getting the supplies and the food and the reinforcements for their armies, and he writes a letter to the chief judge, whose name is not yet coming to mind. Um, and he's like, look, seriously, if you are not taking care of our people and this country, and if you are not leading and if you're not sending people out, and if you're not taking care of your army, you're going to lose everything and you're going to cause the destruction of everybody. And that's the huge, you know, and then the letter comes back and he's like, look, I'm doing my best, but it's the people, right? I can't control the people because that's mm-hmm. Satan's plan. I can just invite and encourage them. Um, but that was a huge one. For me where um just by um, by sharing truth and honesty and the real examples of what a leader can do just like hezekiah where he came into this chaotic chaotic situation and was able to turn it around because he had good leadership mm-hmm. um and didn't take anybody's bull crap mm-hmm. i think yeah. that might be part of what a vassal needs to do so that's my thought on it, that Davidic covenant. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Cindy. Well, what came to mind uh, for me was just something so simple as Lehi and, uh, you know, Nephi and his sons that um, coming to the promised land. I mean, Lehi was so faithful and he was a prophet and and even though all of his sons were not faithful, they all were blessed and be able to come to the promised land. So I don't know, it's just, it's a really simple example, but that's just what jumped out at me, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, along that same line there, um, yeah, we have examples of the Davidic covenant and the Sinai covenant all kind of wrapped in uh, the same thing. Because like on the ship, when one person was disobeying, they all suffered. And that's true. And then on the flip side, we have examples of actual Davidic covenants um, where one is interceding on, on behalf of the people too. Uh, that was very, very great example. Yeah, any others that, that anyone has? Oh, well, yeah, sorry, mom, go ahead, <laughs> forgot. They probably can't hear me, but I'll relay it to you yeah. and you tell it. But I think our greatest one of all is uh, our savior and his atonement for us. I think that's a Davidic covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Christ in Gethsemane, 
uh, being a Davidic covenant on the highest level possible, where um, like a, a Davidic king, when he takes upon himself the sins of his people, as Hezekiah did, uh, here we have the example where Hezekiah, because he did this, he offered up this prayer and said, I have proven faithful and the people have proven faithful to me. Therefore, keep their sins upon my back. I will suffer them so that we can have protection. And so he gets that boil that uh, makes him suffer nigh unto death, etc. So all of that is exactly uh, uh, a type and shadow for Christ in Gethsemane. You know, we don't merit anything. Man is nothing. We are a sinful, uh, natural man, fallen people. Yet in Gethsemane, he willingly, as a Davidic uh, servant, knew that we cannot keep the, the full law of justice with, with Elohim. Yet he heaps upon himself all of our uh, sins, iniquities, transgressions, etc. And so that we can live uh, the law of mercy on behalf. We don't have to merit the full thing yet. As, as we do that, we can still get protection, that salvation um, that comes through him. I, yeah, Christ is a, a great example there. Um, did anyone else have anything there? Um, it, it was fun in our discussion here in, in our group at six o'clock, we were uh, mulling over temple symbolism a lot. And I don't know, just throwing this out there, this is interesting, along the line with Davidic covenant versus Sinai covenant. Um, because I think it's something that, that gets kind of misconstrued a lot or, or lots of different guesses as to why things changed. But in uh, January 2019, um, the endowment changes quite a bit. And, and look at the, the Davidic covenant, the example of the Davidic covenant in the endowment, where Eve hearkens to Adam as Adam hearkens to the Lord. And, and how that changes that they both hearken to Elohim now. And what that means, what, is, what, what does that look like? We had the Davidic covenant before, but now everybody's equal hearkening to uh, the, the source of all righteousness. I think that that's a, an interesting, I don't know, tidbit. Take it for what it's worth. Uh, you know, there's lots of sacred things that we, we can't really dive into with uh, some of the endowment, but- um, Probably the Sinai. But, but the fact that um, a covenant imagery was changed there uh, might be highly significant as to, to our times. Anyway, putting that out there. <laughs> um, so let's dive in now to uh, chapter 38, because this is kind of the, the good news that comes out of um, this story here. Oh. But before I, I do that, there's kind of a side story that we get out of Kings and Chronicles and, and some of the, uh, what is the word that, I'm like lacking words tonight, um, out of like the Midrash and, and things like that, um, is the fact that there's kind of this uh, tug of war pull back and forth between Isaiah and Hezekiah uh, in between here in between chapters 37 and 38, where um, Hezekiah has not gotten married up until this point, and uh, Isaiah kind of calls him out for it, and they kind of have this, this little slight tug of war, 
and they refuse to go and talk to each other. Um, I'll wait until he comes and talks to me kind of thing. Um, but anyway, so then we have the Assyrians come down, etc., and that whole thing. And Hezekiah takes upon himself the sins of the people and re <clears throat> receives the, the boil that, where he's suffering nigh unto death. And then God ministers to Isaiah and says, okay, now go to him. Like, <laughs> be a man, go take the first move kind of thing. And so um, uh, we, we see some of this uh, imagery here, but later on that plays a, a huge role because Hezekiah actually ends up marrying Isaiah's daughter in, in because of that whole exchange. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a, in a second. But um, Isaiah 38 is kind of the, the second part of the Davidic covenant and how that all plays out here, which is uh, such a contrast to, to Ahaz. So I'm just going to kind of read the first little bit here. It says that in those days, Hezekiah became gravely ill. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says Jehovah, put your house in order. You will die and you will not recover. At this, Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to Jehovah. I beseech you to remember, O Jehovah, how I have walked before you faithfully and with full purpose of heart and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept disconsolately. Then the word of Jehovah came to Isaiah, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says Jehovah, the God of your father, David, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will protect the city. And Isaiah gave instruction to take fig packs and apply them to the swelling so that he would recover. But I, but Hezekiah said, what of a sign that I shall again go up to the house of Jehovah? And Isaiah replied, this shall be a sign to you from Jehovah that Jehovah will do the thing that he has promised. See, I will make the shadow cast by the afternoon sun on the dial of Ahaz recede the 10 degrees it has gone down. So the sun reversed its descent by 10 degrees on the dial. So isn't that interesting how it contrasts Ahaz? Ahaz said he would not ask for a sign. He would not test the Lord. Yet here, Hezekiah is, is told to seek for a sign, is, is wanting a sign, etc. And um, it's reversing what had happened during the, the reign of Ahaz there, that where the dial um, had, had risen the, the 10 degrees, and now it's going backward. Um, anyway, I think that that's, that's so huge. Um, Another interesting parallel that we found in group A and B, I think, was this fig pack. So here we have the Davidic covenant being enacted, and um, which when a Davidic covenant is uh, called upon, it's because of physical protection being needed. And so, um, so out of fear of death comes the boil that, that puts him nigh to death, and then why do you think that a fig is the remedy? What does a fig symbolize? What, uh, what kind of imagery do we have in figs? Well, I just want to throw that out to, to all y'all and, and see what you got. <laughs> what other examples of figs do we have in the scriptures that are notable kind of at our, our forefront? And how might they apply in this situation? So we have um, Adam and Eve and the fig leaves, right? 
the tree of knowledge of good and evil is a fig tree. And then we see later on in Christ's life where he curses the fig tree because it's not bearing fruit at that time. Um, any other examples or, or things that we can pull from there? The only thing I, I thought of was the parable of the fig tree. Does that have something to do with it, maybe? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think so, very much. And so um, in like the case of Christ and, and cursing the fig tree, um, uh, all of a sudden my brain is just going a million miles a minute. Because um, I'm, I'm trying to think on, on Cindy's and trying to apply it in the back of my head while I'm saying this other one and it's not working. <laughs> my, my brain can't work on two things at once. But um, uh, where Christ curses the fig tree and um, he's, he's proving the power over death where he uh, later on he proves that he has power over life when he breathes Lazarus back from the dead but in the the case of the fig tree when it bears not the proper fruit or any fruit in the season thereof he curses it he has power over death and likewise in uh, the garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve and that, that curse there it's a power over over death and so um the the spiritual death in that sense of uh, of dying spiritually and having to be cast out and so um if we take the the fig and, and do a word search in isaiah it also uh, has that connotation of, of power uh, especially power over death if we take a look at the davidic covenant and he's literally heaping upon himself the sins and iniquities of the people in order to protect them from death and the the fact that it's a fig that heals him from the death that comes upon him i don't know i think that that's just powerful there's there's lots of that that power um in in the fig uh, i thought that was an interesting kind of side study search that that goes on there um so let's so, Shamala, you said chapter 40 was your favorite chapter. If you could only read a block of it, because we're almost out of time, what verses would you read? <laughs> I want to read it all, but... <laughs> if we are looking at the... Um, the prophetic commission uh, earlier when i had that chart up there uh this rebellion and compliance begins and ends with um isaiah's prophetic commission and uh the first being on the sun servant level and the second the latter being on the seraph level um that's in in verses one through eight but uh, we can can do lots of different um fun things in there isaiah 40 is um what a lot of New Testament, Restoration, Prophets, uh, they always kind of go back to Isaiah 40 as, as a good um, witness of, of Jehovah Christ and, and his mission. I kind of love the whole thing. But mm -hmm. Can I, do you think I can read it from 10 on in five minutes? Uh-huh, yeah, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, ah. <laughs> no. Um, all right, maybe there's a spot or two in here that I can paraphrase, but mm -hmm. thank you. Um, see, my Lord Jehovah, the Lord comes with power. Um, but 
you know what? I'm sorry. This is, I'm going to pause. Can I, Zion and Jerusalem are the same person? Question mark. Are they the same? All you fabulous scriptorians. So as far as uh, Avraham and describing the ladder to heaven, Zion slash Jerusalem is a whole level of, of people there. Okay. So I can so see them not. being a person kind of in that imagery. Okay. At least represented, like representative of the same thing. So. All right. Thank you. Um, I'm going to start there on, on nine, actually, because I think that's important. Um, especially for what's coming for us, if we could apply it to us as we, as I'm reading it. Um, scale the mountain heights, O Zion, herald of good tidings, raise your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, messenger of good news, and make yourself heard, be not afraid. Proclaim to the cities of Judah, behold your God. See my Lord Jehovah, the Lord comes with power. His arm presides for him. His reward is with him and his work precedes him. Like a shepherd, he pastures his flock. The lambs he gathers up with his arm and carries in his bosom. The ewes that gave milk, he leads gently along. Who measured out the waters with the hollow of his hand and gauged the heavens by the span of his fingers? Who compiled the earth's dust by measure, weighing it, sorry, weighing mountains in scales and hills in a balance? Who has comprehended the spirit of the Lord, that a man should let him know his plan? Of whom was he counseled, that he might be enlightened? By whom instructed in the path of discretion, imparting to him knowledge, acquainting him with the way of understanding? The nations are but drops from a bucket, counting no more than dust on a balance. The isles he displaces as mere specks, um, Lebanon would not suffer to kindle a fire and not all its beasts be adequate for sacrifice. Before him, all nations are as nothing and are less than the ether. They are reckoned by him. And between 18 and 20 there, it's basically saying all of your gods are made of metal or they're made of wood and they're not going to cut it, not even close. So I'm going to skip down to 21. Um, are you so unaware that you have not heard? Have you not been told before that you don't understand by whom the earth was founded. Like he's the sculptor. By him who, who sits enthroned on earth's sphere, to him its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who suspends, who suspends the heavens like a canopy, stretching them out as a tent to dwell in. By him who brings the potentiates to naught. And that word, I had to look it up earlier today, um, but it means all powerful. And that was super cool. I was doing a different study and saw that word too. Um, all right. So by him who brings potentious, the all-powerful to naught and makes the authorities of the world null and void when scarcely they're planted and scarcely they're sown, when hardly their stock is taken root in the earth, he puffs at them and they wither and a storm sweeps them off a shaft. To whom then will you liken me? To whom can I be compared? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes heavenward and see who formed these. He who brings forth their hosts by number and calling each one by name because he is almighty and all powerful. Not one is unaccounted for. What then do you say, O Jacob, and speak thus, O Israel? Our path has become obscured from the Lord and our cause is overlooked by our God. Is it not known to you? Have you not heard? The Lord is the God of eternity, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He does not grow faint or weary. His intelligence cannot be fathomed. He supplies the weary with energy and increases in vigor those who lack strength. Youths grow faint and weary and young men slump, slump down of exhaustion. But they who hope in the Lord shall be renewed in strength and shall ascend as on eagle's wings. They shall run without weary and they shall walk not faint. Just amazing, isn't it? I mean, of course, Forty is like the the feel goods of <laughs> of the scriptures. He's the best superhero ever created. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, why is this inserted here? So we have this uh, idea of rebellion and compliance. We see what rebellion does for for King Ahaz. It gets them nowhere. Uh, brings on covenant curses. Yet. Here we we have King Hezekiah's compliance, and then everybody starts ascending the ladder when when covenants are being kept. Uh, Isaiah moves up to the seraphim level. Uh, King Hezekiah moves up. The people move up, uh, only to fall down again. Uh, but um, it's just such an amazing story here that that plays out in chapter forty, where. I don't know. It's just like this, this beautiful Hebrew poetry that shows exactly what Jehovah has and will do for his people that they keep the covenants. Um, I don't know. It's just amazing. <laughs> There's no other way to describe it. Um, but yeah, so going on to uh, King Hezekiah and uh, his story, um, you know, I, who knows? We, we have lots of different little theories and, and things floating around, but uh, after Hezekiah is miraculously healed from this boil that uh, is a complete miracle, um, uh, kings from all around come and uh, uh, shower him with gifts saying, uh, you know, you're alive. There's no way that you could be alive. Um, uh, anyway, and so the, the kings from Babylon come and, and shower him with gifts and uh, he uh, invites them in and shows them all of the gifts of the treasury, of the temple. Um, he, he takes them on a tour of everything. And Isaiah goes, what have you done, Hezekiah? Like, you just showed them everything. They now are going to come in. And he prophesies that within so many years that they're going to come in and, and take all of it uh, and take the, the children captive. But because of the Davidic covenant... It, it's going to skip that generation. Hezekiah doesn't have to deal with it. Um, that, that goes on to the next generation, but, but it happens. Uh, there, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, who knows why, why Hezekiah did that? Maybe he wasn't thinking uh, right. Maybe he was just so uh, proud of his God and uh, excited for what riches were, were brought because of faithfulness that he was boasting in it. Who knows? But um, it's because of, of that action that that the Babylonians do come in and invade later on, um, uh, together with all of the iniquities of the people in the next generation. As we see, Hezekiah's son, by Isaiah's daughter, is Manasseh, and Manasseh is the one that saws Isaiah in half. He is the worst wicked king of all Israel. <laughs> uh, pretty much uncontested. Everybody thinks that he's the worst. Um, and uh, if that bloodline is, is true, then uh, it's his own grandfather that he kills. 
uh, one of the prophets. So uh, he's he's a pretty bad dude uh, when it when it comes down to it. But um, that's kind of for uh, the the rest of Isaiah to explain. Uh, here we're just focusing on the rebellion and compliance of Ahaz and Hezekiah. But I find that these two stories are just everything to me. In my studies, I can see the parallels and, and everything and, and how it works into our, um, into our modern landscape of, of things. Uh, Avraham teaches us about com uh, composites, right? How all of these ancient composites of, of historical meaning get played out at the exact same time in the end times. And so we'll, we'll see Ahaz and Hezekiah rise at the same time and, and play out their scenes. Uh, as political leaders of, of the sovereign nations, there's there's a lot of stuff to 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 face in our day and in the future. But chapter forty, that's kind of the interlude of hope to to really bring everything into proper perspective. Covenant keepers get protected, and they get watched over, and they have joy, they have blessings. Uh, it's so amazing. the The plan, the the whole ladder to heaven, is is uh, a the biggest blessing of all that as long as we keep our covenants, as long as we're on the covenant path and, and striving and following the Holy ghost, hearing him, we, we have, uh, we're entitled to all of those blessings, that, that protection through the Davidic covenant as well. Anyway, sorry. I, I've just kind of monopolized all the time here in, in, in this, uh, this time together, but um, any kind of final thoughts, testimonies, ideas, um, predictions, whatever you want to throw out. I, I have something. We know what side wins in the end. Yeah. Sorry, that's not a prediction that that Zion comes <laughs> away <laughs> like that. Falling temple. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my mom had something just like. A I think it was from October conference, but President Nelson was telling us that we can have joy even through these trials that are coming up, that we can, we can have joy. Mm -hmm. I didn't hold on to that. So can you guys hear her pretty good when she's back there or do I need to repeat? Okay, everyone can hear, all right. Yeah, that joy is, is part of covenantal blessings because what would it be like without all of these, uh, prophecies of Isaiah, Ezra, Daniel, Revelation of John, if we didn't have those, we would be, I would be like a wreck. I, looking at our nation, at our world, and, and all the things that are going on, like this is, we're in the, the worst of the worst. It, it's just Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's no escape, but we do have further light and knowledge and uh, we can keep our covenants and know that there's joy through all of it. Uh, I think that that's so amazing. I uh, saw a quote this week that I thought I'd share from President Nelson. It really made me think a lot. It says, we live in a glorious time foreseen by prophets for centuries. This is a dispensation when no spiritual blessing will be withheld from the righteous. Despite the world's commotion, the Lord would have us look forward to the future with joyful anticipation. Let us not spin our wheels in the memories of yesterday. And it goes on and on. But I think it was just absolutely just 
tells us everything that we've been talking about and and with our studies that he's not withholding any spiritual blessing from us yeah that, that's awesome i kind of forgotten that quote or hadn't referenced it in a while that it's so powerful especially on the backdrop of, of this hezekiah story here thank you with that and the thought of we can be even joyful and even especially joyful in our trials. We don't have to wait till they're over and we don't have to dwell mm -hmm. on the past. Um, it, and I don't remember what chapter it was in where Hezekiah was like, look, if you're putting me through all these trials, maybe it was 36, it's for a reason. And the bad things are not happening to us. They're happening for us. Yeah. So they're happening for us and that's been a huge thing that helps keep a smile on my face at least yeah. um even when crappy things go down i'm like all right if it's getting this bad like the slingshot of life that if, if we're descending this far like just think how high it's gonna go up after that yeah um, and yeah exactly. his plan is so 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 beautiful so glorious mm. that dissension and ascension that applies to us even now I know it seems like so long ago that I mean it seems like I've always known about descension and ascension, but that was just since Isaiah decoded. I mean, it's amazing how the Lord is is waking us up and and giving us the puzzle pieces that we've always had that are kind of been missing, you know. And it just makes so much sense now, and it brings joy. Every new puzzle piece brings joy, and the learning is just coming so fast. Uh, I love that. But yeah, um, I, I highly recommend. Um, Abraham's book, um, this little tiny book uh, called Becoming Kings and Queens of the Gentiles. It's just a, a short little read. They do have it in the ebook version for like five books. Um, but if you're being, if you've ever uh, asked yourself, am I going to be one of the 144,000 or am I destined for, for more things than, than what I'm currently experiencing? This is an amazing kind of how-to guide doctrinal study on what it means to ascend from the Zion Jerusalem level to the sun seraph level or sun servant level and how to get there and uh, what the Davidic covenant really means in action, how we can start entering into it on behalf of others and, and willingly taking upon ourselves the sins and iniquities of this generation. It's an amazing book. I, I highly recommend it uh, as a side study to <laughs> the rebellion and compliance that, that we've studied the past couple of weeks. Uh, the next two weeks, we're going to be heading into punishment and deliverance. Uh, so each level of the chiasm there of the bifid structure is building upon the previous one. So now that we've had ruin and rebirth and rebellion and compliance, we're ready for the punishment and deliverance concepts that isaiah is going to start formulating for us it's going to be amazing it's this is such a fun study i i'm so grateful for abraham and, and the effort that he's put into um making this accessible and uh, easy to, to understand but yeah any other further questions before we head out for the night not questions comments whatever <laughs> All right. Well, it's been fun. Everyone have a great week. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Bye.